This is Radio ANA, broadcasting on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We are Annalise and Arnie, talking about community and individual responses to harm, transformative justice, accountability, safety, support and healing and prison abolition within and challenging dominator culture. We would like to acknowledge Aboriginal elders past and present and to acknowledge and honour the resistance of First Nations people across these lands.
Hello, you are listening to Radio A&A and that was Jane's addiction with being caught stealing. In this episode, we are going to play part two of an interview that Arnie and I did with Mark and Nick from the Crimes of Class blog. Crimes of Class is an exploration of regional and rural working class lives in the informal and black economies and of crime, class struggle and class composition. Nick and Mark hope it provides an insight into love, care and solidarity as everyday revolutionary practices from below among the poor and criminalised. If you haven't listened to part one, you can head to the episode from our website, radioa.card.co. And we'll start off the interview where we left off, which is me asking Mark a question about the influence of Lorraine on Mark's life. And we'll head now into the interview. I have a question for you, Mark, about Lorraine. And if Lorraine sort of knows that you have this quite large learning from her that you've carried through in your life and whether and what she would think about that, that she had this practice of accountability without police. You know, I doubt she does, to be honest. What do you think she would say about it if she if she could hear this now i hopefully would feel like quite that it was that it was an important intervention and i think in some ways you know yeah like i, I imagine i you know i mean i might even tell her now that you've mentioned that because I, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't actually thought about that before but i imagine yeah that would be a, quite a good thing to hear hopefully that and as you say it like and i do talk about this in the book a little bit, but there's, multi, there's quite a lot of examples of this sort of thing um, happening in my life, actually, where other people have sort of indirectly, in a sense. Um, yeah, so I don't know, but I'd like, I guess to flip it around, this is totally speculative, but I imagine, I hope as well that the relationship that Mum and Lorraine formed helped change both of them as well, in a sense. Only in the sense that I do know that, yeah, you know, it did go from a relationship of sort of hostility to one of deep affection. Thank you. I am just really interested in like significant um, moments and people in our lives and like how we sort of carry those on. Yeah, I've had many moments growing up in my life of particularly my family members doing a lot of things to evade and refuse police in our lives. Things that I like look back and when I was a kid, I didn't have much understanding of it. And as a teenager, I found some of those instances quite funny and didn't quite understand the the dangerousness of some of the refusal. But, yeah, when I think back about particular family members and sort of what they did, (laughs) yeah, I've thought about actually how so much of my ideas around police and prisons comes from their actions and how lucky I am actually to have had that in my life since I was so young. And Arnie and I have talked about this a lot. Like I never really ever thought police were um, like helpful because I never grew up with that. And so, yeah, it never was a thing that people would ever talk about in our family. It was about um, all the ways that we we could have police not come into the house, not come into the neighbourhood. 
And in Mauritius, it was very severe consequences if police were in your family life. And so it was very, very, very serious conversations um, about that. And so when I was 16 and I was protesting outside the Nike Corporation (laughs) on Swanston Street, I found it really difficult actually to meet a whole bunch of people where police was um, normal. It was a safety for them. They hadn't experienced police as unsafety. And still now I would say a lot of the sort of scenes that I'm in, the community groups, some, not all, that I do stuff in, it's a more of a theory that police are dangerous to them. It's not a lived felt thing. And, yeah, I wonder for both of you, like, you both have different experiences, but also, Nick, you still grew up in struggle, which is something different to, say, what Arnie grew up in. It's more of an experience through politicisation from very young. And, uh, and Mark, you grew up with it, like that idea in the everyday. Yeah, what is it? My question is, like, when we're trying to, like, make, build movements, build different relationships with people um, who have had really different experiences, as we all have, how do we, yeah, support people coming to different ideas that might be useful, I guess, in movement building, such as a refusal of police, such as, like, an idea that prisons are harmful or the ideas that conflict are actually, is actually joyful and generative or can be. Yeah, how do we sort of, yeah, walk alongside people in that, I guess. Again, going back to the, the, the blog is, you know, the purpose in many ways was to share stories, share our own experiences. As you say, I grew up in a in a, in, in different way to, to Mark, quite different. But my, my parents grew up in poverty. They grew up in criminalised um, communities where the police were seen as, in general, as the enemy. Um, so that's something they brought with them into their privilege as they became more privileged, that understanding. And because they were communists, they, you know, they experienced that whenever they engaged in struggle. And so right from an early age, my earliest memories of, of police were seeing them at protests um, being violent or, you know, pushing people around, um, threatening violence, intimidating, harming, damaging people. So both through their own stories of, of the world and my own experience, uh, I learned via my family and then via the, the movement as I, you know, um, sort of uh, got involved in, in various aspects of that, that the police were dangerous and we needed to think about how we defended ourselves um, when they tried to harm us because you never knew when that was going to happen. Um, but most likely it was going to happen when you're engaged in the most important and powerful struggle. Um, so how were we going to do that? And I remember from a very early age, my father would tell me quite explicitly, he would say when the crucial you know, struggles occur, the question will often become whose blood will be spilled. So you have to think very hard about that. Is it going to be yours? Or is it going to be theirs? And that was a lesson he deeply wanted me to learn. And it really troubled me because I didn't want to spill other people's blood. Yet he and the movement in many ways wanted to recruit me 
as somebody who was willing to die and kill. And I didn't want to do either of those things. And I've really struggled with that because I know that at times that can be the choice you have, right? That may not be something you get to avoid. Um, it may be for somebody in my own position, but at times, uh, and certainly from those who are most oppressed and most vulnerable, that's a more likely scenario. So what I looked at was those people who are more oppressed and more vulnerable to see what lessons they could teach me about how they defend themselves from abuse and harm. And again, what I learned from them was that it's taking care of each other, that it's, you know, care, that it's a form of, uh, you know, different forms of love that are most powerful in defending people. And that doesn't mean you don't engage in violence. Sometimes you have no choice, um, but you should try and avoid it and build the power of love because that is the most powerful thing that those communities in struggle have. And that was really helpful when I had to think about the sort of, you know, rejecting the way I'd been recruited into, you know, um, developing what was portrayed as revolutionary um, forms of violence. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that, yeah, that's all, yeah, I think really important. Um, and I think just coming back to your, yeah, your comments, Emily, it's like, I think for me, it's like very similar to what you said, you know, like there was never any, like just to come back to my own very personal experience, like no time ever where it was like the police are seen as in any way good you know what I mean like there's just no no one thought that um and in a sense like like the experiences that lead you to that knowledge are not um you know a great thing or a privilege but having that knowledge I think is very like very useful and very important and I think for me I've experienced that knowledge and that is so sort of ingrained from such a young age um a really um useful thing to have to have learned i suppose um and i guess just in terms of your question like you know how do we walk with people who have different experiences of these sorts of things what does that look like and how to do it i mean i think in for me i don't know whether this is going to sound silly but in some sense like feeling as though that knowledge is actually a great resource and like and something to share helps me be less easily perhaps irritated by certain assumptions about the police. You know what I mean? Because none of us come here with a perfect knowledge of how the systems work and you only learn it through the lives that you live. So the fact that I don't have that, you know what I mean? Like I feel like it helps me not to be too annoyed, I suppose. Um, and I think what it can mean in practice is a whole range of things. And a couple of examples come to mind, like at a strike years and years ago that were really heavily policed and there was lots of injuries and, you know, bones were broken by the cops and various things like this. And, you know, it's a super difficult thing for people to go through and traumatic and so on. Um, but it did give me this sense, like, that you sort of spoke about where it's like, okay, well, this is this moment of, like, finally seeing what the, the police are, off, are like, you know what I mean? Um, 
And what it meant was, I think, just sort of, you know, not any I told you so sort of thing, but more like sitting with those difficulties with those people and and talking it through and and then coming to co-construct the knowledge of how the police function and what they do and that they don't act like this just here in these visible media spectacle type ways, but as a as a general practice. And we can learn from this experience to sort of see a broader systematic kind of um, function of them, I suppose. So in that sense, you know, it's a, it's a process of, I think, just sitting and sharing and talking and like, you know, constructing care to deal with the traumas that people have of it. I think also it's sort of like, I think I said at the beginning, but like, I think I just, in some sense, patience is important. And I think like explaining things like I'm trying, I think, and again, another example where there was years ago, you know, someone who I don't know, but, you know, and it, it made itself into the media. They went and had a chat with the police or ASIO about something to do with the far right. And it's like, some of us kind of, you know, reach out and say like, we maybe we don't want to do this, you know, and here's the reasons why and 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 it's so on, you know, and just sort of trying to not assume that any that people would just know that and that we have to organize the political culture around this stuff and explain the reasons, sort of why. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like that's a part of it. And then at other times, I also think just to sort of bracket it in the sense that it's it can't, it's not always the time and the space and the capacity to do that sort of more relationship building. But I think sometimes it, there's a time and a place for political arguments that polarise that debate so that it becomes clearer and that you have to do that sometimes. Yeah, share, sharing understandings about, you know, the harm that can come from, you know, forces that say they're there to protect you and uh, to defend you that, um, you know, often tend not to be, is really cr- a really crucial education. And um, it is, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to do because often, yeah, you are um, having to sort of help people who have been traumatised by having, you know, um, witnessing terrible things and also witnessing a, a, a view of the world sort of crumble before them quite rapidly and that itself can be quite traumatising. And why helping to people learn how to defend themselves against harm and trauma and abuse and, and violence is so crucial and often we are in the movement spending a lot of time doing that if, if you know if we genuinely care for each other that's what we're doing um and that can be in extreme forms or more sort of everyday forms because we're continually being harmed yeah um we you know every day we really need to do that because every day we're suffering damage and harm and being abused in various ways so you know learning to do that better is uh, very helpful and, and something um, we need to focus uh, as much as we can. Now listening to Radio A&A, let's head to a song. Listening to the specials, Somebody Got Murdered.
Welcome back to Radio A&A. That was the specials with Somebody Got Murdered. This is part two of Arnie and I's interview with Mark and Nick from Crimes of Class. Their blog is available crimesofclass.substack.com and we'll head back into the interview. I was wondering if, like, because of the work you two do and, and Annalise, you just said your experiences, like, what are your, yeah, like, what, are your thoughts on this and and maybe experiences or lessons that you've learned about yeah how to grapple with some of these these problems or these questions well i think it's interesting because you know as i said my you know like my experience has been quite different in life you know so in many ways like yeah, like I'm somebody who probably would have been quite annoying to other people in ways, you know, not necessarily because I was like pro-police, but because a lot of these kinds of ideas, yeah, like, you know, did come to me in a way that was more theoretical or in a way of like noticing certain things about, you know, my life, my family, um, the kinds of rules or like morality that was acceptable or enforced that I didn't agree with. And then I pushed back in a lot of against in different ways, mostly I would say through like lying and dishonesty um, rather than through things being talked about in any kind of open conflict sort of way. And so actually like a lot of reflections around how conflict struggle in a way that is generative, including through discussion across difference um, confrontation across difference uh being being faced with the effects of those differences in um thinking and action 
you know, it was like, it, it was like confronting for me, I think. And so, especially as a younger person, you know, I think one of the things when you grow up in this kind of like white, you know, like middle to upper class type cult- culture, both at a family and then a community level, is a recruitment into defensiveness around that, you know, defensiveness against yourself. I mean, about yourself, about your identity, but also just that the idea of difference and um, struggle in is more like like harm or something. You know, being able to tell the difference between these kinds of things, like being in trouble, for example, feel you know, like someone being upset with you, creating the feeling of being in trouble being the same as something being done to you, <laughs> you know, and it's like having to push back against all of these kinds of things when, yeah, like in terms of, I guess, learning about myself and the ways that, you know, I, I think one of the other things is like because perhaps the cultural attitudes that I grew up in more matched the mainstream cultural attitudes that are reflected in, you know, the school or the media or all these kinds of things, I think it really was through those struggles and a lot of conversations across difference. And I'm going to say particularly with Annalise being a super close friend of mine that we had these conversations from, you know, when we're young as teenagers and that sometimes would have been extremely difficult, particularly for Annalise, I would say. But, you know, like that I was able not just to learn about other people's experiences but actually to take a more critical reflection on the ways I was recruited into those attitudes and the difference between like my theoretical perspectives and actually like the felt experience of that and like the attitudes I was bringing in and these sorts of connections, you know, which required a lot of patience from friends who stepped into that with me. And also, you know, I guess, yeah, like a willingness or a desire from myself. And I think it is interesting because maybe now through having a lot of these conversations and like tensions or contradictions across across difference, I can maybe trace, yeah, like different histories of kind of, I don't know, doing that as a young person with friends in primary school and like high school and, you know, learning a lot from these people. And actually I can probably trace a lot of these, yeah, histories of, I don't know, cr- critique or questioning of police or prisons or, you know, systems to things that I witnessed or was alongside my friends going through, but I just experienced so differently because our positions in the world were so different. Um, Yeah, but I think it's interesting just like thinking about the different positioning even in that struggle, (laughs) you know, and like what that's like and what skills are kind of needed, you know, and one of those definitely is like, I don't know, learning more humility or something like that, but some of that stuff that we spoke about before of like separating you know, I don't know, like recruitment into behaviours um, and ideas from myself as an identity, like as someone said earlier, I think as you, like an ahistorical identity. I think that was actually like a harder step for me in some kinds of ways, but a really essential step to be able to like me how I want to be in all of these contexts. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> about you and Liz? Yeah, I think um, just on what you were saying there around the stuff around identity is probably the thing that I've, like, I really like, Mark and Nick, that you speak to patients because I'm not very good at that. And 
but maybe one of the things that I have an impatience about, which I think I would like to have more patience on, is that because, like growing up as a migrant, growing up in Dandenong, having a lot of experiences of violence, both outside the house and inside the house. It's like, I think when you have those experiences, you've learned from very young around like structures of power. I didn't have language for that, but I could see it. I could feel it. Um, I understood how power was operating. Um, my dad would talk to me about it very explicitly as well. But then when I sort of entered into more like, I guess, activist spaces, I didn't understand how people who um, maybe had more access to things didn't understand how they were also experiencing harm from the state. <laughs> you know, I'm always like, we need to find some ways we're in struggle together. And to me, that is like the the way that we can be in struggle together is to understand how these systems are actually affecting everybody in, in many multi, multiple ways, some more severely affected for sure, but they're still affecting people that we are alongside in, in struggle. And so that's where sort of my impatience is because I'm like, you. it's like you see me and all the things I'm experiencing, but you don't see yourself in that. And that's like... I think when people can see themselves in that, then that's when I see people being more dedicated to struggle for their for their lives, for their whole whole lives, right? And so that's, yeah, when I think about how do we walk alongside people, I'm like, well, we need to see what the purpose of this struggle is for us, not for not just for others. You know, I mean, Arnie always have a lot of huge conversations around that exact thing. And I can see that recruitments into whiteness mean that there's like part of that recruitment is a blindness to that violence. But it's something that I really wish we would <laughs> have more conversations about. I also think like I grew up in a family where there was a lot of conflict, some of it very generative and some of it very harmful. But what it taught me was that it just was a really everyday thing that if you have problems and issues, you would talk about it with directly with the person, even when they didn't want to hear it. And so when I started doing organising stuff, that's not the scenes that I came into. Yeah, so I guess I really came into these sort of collectives and groups and learnt very quickly that disagreement was not valued, <laughs> I guess. And even I would say like, robust conversation and passion was not valued. And that has been, I think, difficult for me in terms of like the kinds of, like I do think conflict is just really normal and I don't understand that people don't <laughs> think that. And that I think we have to have it actually to have any sort of useful stuff around more severe harms. Like if we, if we can't actually just disagree um, and get through that together, then how will we actually be there for each other in, in terms of violence and abuse that occur between each other? So, yeah, when I'm thinking about how to walk alongside with people, I'm like, how do we just, yeah, how do we disagree more or just have more passionate, robust, robust discussions without feeling this thing like Arnie was saying, being told off? How do we actually see that as like opportunities to like yeah, just step into like discomfort in a um, way where you're still going to be held and loved and cared for 
and that doesn't mean lack of separation or fracturing or an exclusion or like we want to do things differently and that's okay and how do we still be in this together and acknowledge that you might do it this way and I might do it that way but we're still trying to get to this thing in it so we can actually still both be there (laughs) or all of us can still both participate. And I think what you were saying, Mark, about valuing your skills that you learned, I have yet to come to that, I think. And I really valued you saying that because I probably have spent most of the time since I was like 14 when I started going to protests and then joining groups and things, thinking what I had experienced when I was younger was fucked, was I had a lot of shame around it, had a lot of shame around where I grew up, had a lot of shame around my dad, um, around my family. And even though I know that actually how I organize now is really a result of all these um, experiences I had when I was younger, I was never really given space to value that and, um, and honor that at all. And that's, I really appreciated reading your blog, like both of you stories, because it's a valuing of your sort of histories and and the skills that you've learnt from that, from those histories and from the people in your lives. Um, and so, yeah, I think I would still like to think more and value more like some of the skills that I bring into movement building that are based on my experiences um, of how I grew up and where I grew up and my family. Yeah, that's a, everything you've said is so important and amazing. And I think, I mean, yeah, like valuing thing, it's a very recent thing I think I'm doing in some respects and even doing the blog in itself was a way to actually properly do that I think um but yeah I feel a similar thing about you know a shame and a long deep thing but I wanted to tell you really quickly like one thing we had I don't think we've used the word but that I took from what you were saying particularly Annalise but also Arnie before is in some sense what we do is have to find what we have in common when we Mm. struggle we produce some kind of commonality through that process of struggle. And that's in some sense a political sort of task, I guess, um, that we have to do that. But once you do do that, then, yeah, you have more at stake with each other to one, you know, talk about difference, to disagree, to do all of those sorts of things, but also to continue to struggle um, together. And that, and like the patience thing is interesting too, because I mean, I think. Yeah, something I think is important, not necessarily always good at, but also thinking about the long-term nature of all of our what we're doing, that that is important in those ways. Um, and one last thing I could think also is, yeah, that the importance of disagreement and conflict, and again, in the experience of my neighbourhood and, you know, um, you are, you know, the question about how do we not be, become recruited into these things, I think partly you know, this thing about the defensiveness of self is partly trying to resist that when you do get into disagreement and someone is telling you something, you know, like in my neighborhood there's a lot of that, particularly around whiteness, for example, and so taking the criticisms um, seriously. And the other element I think maybe a way to play on the term of accountability is if you, if we're doing it well and if, we're constructing that that is an invitation to construct a commonality you know what i mean like it's it isn't just a policing function it's actually a way to construct 
a commonality around which we can then continue to struggle. And I think that's an important maybe way to think about those terms. Look, I was just thinking about that, you know, the the question about, well, how do we better deal with um, conflict and have passionate, robust um, discussion and and accommodate, you know, our differences and so forth. And I think um, a number of times we've mentioned the importance of of patience um, and also humility, yeah, um, and I think they are crucial skills that, you know, most people, you know, need to keep working on. Um, they're difficult uh, to develop well. And I think while obviously sometimes we, to do the things we want to do, to build power to do things rather than power over other people, um, often we're struggling with people we don't, you know, we we lose, we may lose commonality with. So sometimes we can have commonality that that subjectivity or those subjectivities can change. So who we walk beside changes, right? We we walk beside different people at different times or different groups at different times. And I, you know, um, refer to my solidarity team. So I think of you know having all these different solidarity teams. And that means that, you know, if one solidarity team isn't functioning very well or I've lost a bit of commonality with them or whatever, there's another solidarity team, you know, that I might call on to for solidarity or to give solidarity to. And that for me, again, tends to revolve around that question of, of value, right? So what do we want from our relationships? What does what actually has social value? What do we value? And for me, again, that all always, well, generally um, revolves around care and love. And so, you know, for me, that's the the thing that most people tend to value most about their social relations and recognising that and developing that and building that and helping each other understand that, I think, then can help build commonality around that, um, but also give us permission to maybe step aside from walking beside people at times um, because that isn't possible or isn't working well or is absent, yeah. I was thinking of a range of things while everybody was speaking. Um, but, you know, like maybe kind of where where I've landed there is in, is in some of what you've all said, like what kind of way of seeing the world and what kind of framework actually makes possible, you know, what you refer to, Mark, as the invitation to construct commonality and also valuing difference and the different perspectives that everybody brings and you know I was kind of thinking about yeah like different tendencies or different I don't know like ways of viewing or interpreting the world you know in the social networks that I'm in and some of those really like prioritize um, construction of difference I think which can be valuable right so you think about like identity like representation you know, noticing of difference when people's experiences are flattened, who's judged, who's not judged. But if that's all there is, then you stay in that difference. 
you know, and so I was really thinking that what I appreciated, I think, so much in reading both of um, your interviews in the blog was, yeah, a description or an analysis of your lives, like your personal day-to-day stories, lives through like structural analysis, history, like in the context of a structural framework of these structural violences because I do think that 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 is what enables both to be held because the commonality is that you're all impacted by these structural violences but the difference is the effects of that, you know, and the different like ways in which you're recruited into that and then because of the effects of that what you perpetuate. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long That even my mama thinks that my mind is gone But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking Or you and your homies might be lying in chalk I really hate the trip, but I gotta lope as they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke. Fool, I'm the kind of cheater little homies wanna be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street light. situation they got me facing i can't live a normal life i was raised by the state so i gotta be damn with the hood team too much television watching got me chasing dreams i'm an educated fool with money on my mind got my tin in my hand and the gleam in my eye i'm a loped out gangster set tripping banker and my homies is down so don't arouse my anger fool death ain't nothing but a heartbeat away i'm living life do a die what can i say i'm 23 now but will i live to see 24 the way things that's going i don't know
that was Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. You've been listening to Radio A&A and we are in part two of our interview with Nick and Mark from Crimes of Class and we'll head back into the interview. One of the questions we were, um, yeah, like wanting to ask was what was the process like of doing the interviews for each of you and analysing your experiences through theory? And, you know, you've spoken a little bit about your learnings, but does it contribute in some way to, you know, healing or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, just maybe very, very quickly and on the last question just before that, I think, yeah, that thing about commonality and difference is really important. That commonality maybe isn't the negation of difference again. Like maybe it's a different play on that sense of like a better organisation of conflict, but not always only conflict, you know, that it's that all of that is what animates a question of commonality. And that's not the commonality is not at the expense of what we have that's different and that and those different experiences, those different, you know, in but it's it's an element of how we can construct a a, a basis of, you know improving our lives and 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 learning about the world and building a, a struggle that is durable enough to keep on going, I suppose. So yeah, I feel like that's all there um together. I mean, yeah, it's funny that I like I, it's a really interesting question again. And it's funny because um I think I actually say I've definitely thought this and I think it's in the blog in the interviews. Like for me Theory actually, I can't. It was kind of like therapy in some ways, like you know, like the a, a, a capacity to imagine a life outside of the constricting character of the neighborhood of prison. Like my folks going to prison, all of that shit that just works to shorten the horizon of what you think your life could ever possibly be, and to undermine it and to you know, channel everyone who's in that space into a prison, basically. Yeah, theory actually did play an important role of me just being able to imagine something different as well as, like, explain the nature of what was going on around me, I suppose, and then build a connection um, to other people. So, yeah, it has played a really um, important role and it's interesting yeah, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but for me it's interesting because in some ways, like, I'm like 42 or something now and I've sort of shared some of these stories with different people and some people like my siblings, you know, we talk about this shit all the time. Um, and, you know, so it's not like I would never talk about it, but I've definitely 100% never, ever talked about it that openly Certainly not as openly as putting it onto a friggin' public blog that just anyone can read, you know what I mean? So in a in a way, it's like, you know, it's kind of a very bizarre um, thing to be in and maybe it looks like, you know, I've um, been practising and building up to this for a time, but kind of no, it kind of like came out of nowhere and kind of went public and then all of a sudden, I mean, <laughs> coffee afterwards and it's like what the fuck just happened like what is going on why did I do that um, um I was like it's great and I'm glad it happened and now we're having a conversation like this so it's good but like there's still a part of me which is like what the fuck how so it has been 
bizarre, but also healing. Like it is a, definitely a part of a process of being able to talk about this stuff. Not, I mean, certainly because of the moral instruction, I think, as Nick put it, and and the lessons and trying to share that and all of those sorts of things, but also just a personal thing where it's like I carry all this shit inside of me that I hardly ever talk about or I use it to relate to things around me but not in such an explicit sort of way. So it has been a really healing sort of thing and it's definitely useful for me to sort of to be able to be, and I, I did learn this at a really young age, that the structural reproduction of this violence and of the prison systems and all of these sorts of things aren't the fault of my family and my friends, you know what I mean? Like, and when your folks go to prison, they come out and then all of a sudden the conditions are the same and they're on the track back to prison. It's kind of like, well, that's actually not their fault. Like, you know, so there's being able to, resonate some you know between that very personal experience and then the kind of historical reproduction of capitalist social relations i think is a it really has helped me to sort of stay sane basically well not that's a bad way to use frame it but to stay to stay okay with how i feel about my own self i suppose yeah and f- for me i mean um using theory to sort of understand our own experiences. I mean, I, I not only grew up in a, a communist family, I grew up in a family of communist intellectuals. So that's pretty much what we did uh, the whole way. So, you know, um, it was very familiar ground in that sense for me. Um, but the, I think, yeah, like Mark says, it's interesting to think about. For me, one of the struggles was, and we sort of sp- speak about this briefly in the blog is, well, what do we talk about, all right? Because we're not only being vulnerable ourselves, and that's a struggle, right? You know, that's hard to do, but we're including a lot of other people here too. And we haven't sort of gone and checked everybody we're mentioning. You know, we did reach out to certain people about including stuff. Um, but it's impossible to, to to talk to everybody. And because of the things we're talking about, you know, there's a lot of people. So making yourself more vulnerable is, you know, you're choosing to do that, but potentially making other people more vulnerable where they're not choosing to do that uh, and not really knowing where that line is is a difficult one. So that was a that was a struggle, something you know, we struggled with in different ways. And it's interesting. I Yeah, I certainly didn't experience it as a healing process um, because, you know, those vulnerabilities, those questions of are you damaging and doing harm to others remain, but also having a deeper understanding of, of what Mark went through and the harm and the abuse and the damage for himself and and the people around him, and then having to, you know, connect with my own pain and my own wounds um, was difficult and in some ways, you know, made me have to focus on, well, you know, what I do to sort of deny that or, 
you know, um, continue on with, you know, the positive, you know, smiling face of, of neoliberalism, it, you know. So I, I don't want to do that, but how do I, rather than heal, how do I better manage and um, overcome both individually and collectively, you know, that pain, that those wounds, that damage and, and try and stop them happening to other people and myself as much as possible and learn how to reduce, defend ourselves against them uh, and, you know, end them um, is an ongoing struggle. So, it, yeah, I didn't find it a healing process, but rather one of, again, remembering how important these things are, which, again, is something that I really appreciate about talking to you today that, you know, that it helps remind me how important this is and, and how this is an ongoing struggle for for um, all of us. And, yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you both so much. I feel like I've really appreciated so much of what you both have said and got many things that I'm pondering upon um, did you have any final thoughts or anything that you wanted to to say before we sort of close off and say goodbyes? Well, I'd just like to reiterate what I just said, which is thank you very much to have this opportunity to think about these things, to talk to you um, and to re-explore them with Mark is, yeah, really, really valuable. So thank you. And for me too, that was just really to say, yeah, thanks for setting up this conversation and reaching out and it's been so awesome. And similarly, I'm like thinking about all of the things that have come out and where to go with all of those, those thoughts. So it's been, um, yeah, just thanks both of you for um, reaching out and getting this to happen. Cause it's yeah, lovely. And also of course to, to Nick for, um, you know, basically being awesome and lovely and amazing. So, well, forever, but ever since I met him, at least for sure. <laughs> Let's close the show with Bang Bang by Letty Claire. In New York, the shooting of another unarmed black man raises further questions about NYPD tactics. On Thursday, an undercover police officer shot and killed Patrick Dorsman.
happened that night. The shooting has angered many community members, especially after four NYPD officers were acquitted last month in the shooting of unarmed African immigrant Amadou Diallo. <laughs> You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.